<clears throat> one of the promises that I've made um, that I am reminded of on a semi-regular basis is the promise, uh, all that I am, I give to you, <clears throat> and all that I have, I share with you. And it's normally when I'm halfway through an ice cream or perhaps a bowl of chips, and uh, I'm quietly enjoying my bowl of chips to myself, and Hannah will give me a look that sort of says, please may I have one of your chips? And I say, no, these are my chips. And then she will say, I thought you said all that I have, I share with you. Well, Jesus is making a point a little bit like that here in Matthew chapter 22 with these famous words, incredibly famous words, aren't they? Perhaps some of Jesus' most famous, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God's that which is God's. Um, At first glance, though, perhaps we might be thinking, uh, is he saying that, or is he saying almost the complete opposite? Because Jesus' words here about giving to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God's what's God's have been taken to be a proof text for this idea of the separation of, well, the separation of church and state, uh, the separation of two distinct spheres, one from another, the the, the sphere of influence over which uh, Caesar, uh, or, or the things of this world... Um, that which concerns worldly things, and that which concerns God and the church, and perhaps never the twain shall meet, that God shouldn't stick his nose into what's Caesar's business, and Caesar shouldn't stick his nose into what's God's business, almost like a Venn diagram of two completely separate realms that don't overlap. And for many people, there's a huge chasm between those two, between the secular and the sacred, between private faith and public life, between that which is God's, Sundays, or maybe just Sunday mornings, uh, 10% um, which we tithe, that which is God's and that which is Caesar's, which is basically everything else. So isn't Jesus here talking about the separation of these two realms, the sacred and the secular? Well, I don't think anything could be quite further from Jesus' meaning. During this exchange, which is rather a heated exchange, um, and it's a debate really about Jesus' politics. So have a look down at the question they ask. It says in verse 15 that they planned to trap him. They set him a trap to fall into. And it's a trap about, verse 17, paying taxes. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now that word, where it says tax, um, this translation of the Bible is a little bit of a loose translation. The word literally is tribute, um, but it's really talking about a particular kind of tax, a poll tax, which is what some of the newer translations have it as. Now, poll taxes, pack, the tax which just everybody has to pay regardless of rich, poor, whatever, they're never particularly popular, as Margaret Thatcher uh, famously found out. But this was a doubly unpopular tax because only foreign subjects had to pay it. If you're a Roman citizen, you didn't have to pay. But the Jews living in Jerusalem had to pay this tax to Caesar. So it was a painful reminder of their oppression and subjection to a foreign power. But it was triply unpopular with the Jews because of the coin, the particular coin which you needed to pay it. You couldn't pay it with Jewish money, which Jewish coins, they didn't have any images on them because making a graven image was against the Ten Commandments. Uh, So, of course, hence why Jesus hasn't got one of these coins on him. He wouldn't have such a blasphemous thing on his purpose. He has to get somebody to produce one for him. 
You couldn't pay it with Jewish money. You had to pay it with the Roman coin, which is why he says, go on, show me one of these awful coins. And uh, I thought I'd produce one this morning. Here it is. So here, here is a denarius. It's not a real one. I, it's, um, you can get the real ones. They're about 500 quid. That's what they're worth. But I got this off eBay. It's a copy. Uh, it was about £6.50, which I thought was quite fun. And Jesus says, show me one of these coins. And this was the exact coin, a replica of, which they produced for him. And he says, um, whose portrait and inscription are on this coin? And um, I don't know whether you can read that. Um, no, you probably can't. I can't read it either, except by zooming in. Um, but they all knew exactly whose portrait was on it. The portrait is Caesar Tiberius. And the inscription says, Pontiff Maxim, which means high priest. And then it says um, something like Divi Filius Augusta which is the son of the divine Augustus, emperor. So how, can you imagine being a Jew? Imagine how the Jewish people felt about paying a rather oppressive sort of a tax that was a regular reminder of their subjection to the Roman Empire that required the handling of a blasphemous coin, a coin with an image on, which you're not supposed to have, with the inscription, high priest, Caesar Caesar Tiberius, high priest, son of God. They probably weren't too, too pleased about it. So hence why they're, they're asking him, should we pay this tax or not? Yes or no? Now, why is it a trap? It's a trap because whatever Jesus says, he's going to get in trouble. If he says, yes, you should be a good citizen and pay your taxes, what will happen? He will alienate all his followers who believe that he is the king of kings, that he's come to bring about a revolution, that he's actually... Um, you know, he's, he's, he's inaugurating the kingdom of God. If he says you should pay the tax to Caesar, this blasphemous tax, the, all of his disciples are going to go, you're not really who you say you are. You're not really the king of the universe. You're just a collaborator with this oppressive, awful Roman regime. You're not here to bring about revolution at all. Um, therefore, you can't be the Messiah. So he can't say, yes, pay the tax, because he'll alienate everybody. But if he says no don't pay the tax, well, what will happen? They'll string him up, and the authorities will do him for um, starting an insurrection, and they'll execute him. So what a sticky situation to be in. If he says, pay the tax, he loses his following. If he says, don't pay the tax, he loses his life. So what does he say? Well, he says something so brilliant, so memorable, that when they heard it, look at the end of the exchange, verse 22, when they heard what Jesus said, they were amazed. Why was it such a brilliant answer? Well, one reason it was so brilliant is he avoided falling into the trap. The trap of oversimplification. Because the trouble with politics, of course, is that so often it gets presented as a binary yes or no, right or wrong, black or white, left or right, this party or that party, leave or remain. And actually... The reality on politics is often so much more nuanced and complicated than that. And so Jesus doesn't fall into this trap of playing them at the ring. He doesn't give them a straight answer, does he? He doesn't say yes or no. And so if Jesus doesn't fall into the trap of oversimplifying complicated political questions, probably we shouldn't either. They frame it as black or white, verse 17. Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the choice, but Jesus won't play his game. So how come they aren't annoyed? Because normally when politicians 
prevaricate like that and don't quite give a straight answer. You go, no, well, hang on, look, we want, it's a simple question. We want a simple answer. Can you imagine Jeremy Paxman being, uh, you know, being the, the person asking, with all due respect, Jesus, we've asked a simple question. We want a yes or no. Should we pay this tax or not? But when they do that, when, when politicians say, oh, well, it's very complicated and they give a nuanced political answer, there you go, oh, typical politician, you know, dodging the question. Why aren't they annoyed? They're amazed. They're not annoyed. Because he doesn't actually dodge the question. He answers both yes and no. Because when Jesus says give to Caesar, so we read it with our 21st century, not understanding the cultural situation. And when we, we, Jesus says give to Caesar, we read that as, oh, he's being purely submissive. He's saying, yes, just pay your taxes, be good citizens. But actually... On one level, yes, he is saying that, and the authorities certainly can't accuse him of inciting a revolution, because he is literally saying, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But the, the, the way he phrases it, the wording he uses, actually is a lot more subversive. He's being submissive and subversive, because he's really saying, give back to Caesar. That's what the newer translations of it, they realise there's a nuance there. What the old version says, render to Caesar, there was a sting in that word, where he's actually saying, give Caesar what he deserves. Yeah, give him his own taste of his own medicine, pay him in his own currency, that sort of thing. So he, yes, he's saying pay the taxes, but he's saying give Caesar what is deserved. And to the listener, hearing Jesus answer that question, they're going, ah, yeah, we'll give Caesar what he deserves. Yes, we'll pay our taxes, but we'll also give him our resistance as well. He's being both submissive and subversive, so he doesn't fall into the trap. But the real reason why it silences them is the second part of the answer, where he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. And so, yes, of course, this little, kit, this little coin, says Jesus, the coin belongs to Caesar. Of course it does. It's literally minted out of his own wealth. He's got his image on it. But therefore, of course, doesn't that also mean that we owe to God that which has his image and imprint on it? So the coin has been made in the image of Caesar. Caesar can have his coin. But you and I, as Barry prayed in his intercessions, have been made, minted, in the image of God and bear his inscription. And so Jesus' challenge is, have we given the whole of ourselves to God, as he says later in the chapter, as we reminded ourselves earlier on in the service, end of chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the challenge which he gives to the Pharisees. They think they've thrown him a curveball. He hits it back at them with twice the speed. Yes, give to Caesar that which he deserves, but have you Pharisees given to God that which he deserves? What does God deserve? See, the idea that there's two separate realms, a separation, a distinction between what is Caesar's and what is God's, is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? We just have to ask the question, well, what does belong to God? What does God deserve? Well, of course, the answer to that is everything, isn't it? As the psalm pointed out, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. As um, Abraham Kuyper, who was the um, prime minister of the Netherlands around the turn of the last century, famously said... There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not cry, mine. 
Not square inch. Everything. Everything. He just says, mine, mine, mine. It's all his. This isn't, we think, oh, this is my money. It's my time. Jesus says, no, it's my money. It's my time. My chips. My field. My potatoes. My air fryer. The whole thing. It's all his. As King David says, everything we have comes from you. And it's only what you've given us that we give back to you. We've given you only what comes from your own hand. The two realms are not what's God and what's Caesar's. They're not two separate circles. There's only one circle, which includes everything, and it's God's circle. And Caesar was delegated authority for a portion of it. So as we pray, maybe there is some area of our life which we've rather ring-fenced Maybe we've set up a great big secular sacred divide. Maybe there's not much overlap between what happens on Sunday and what happens through the rest of the week. Well, maybe we feel the sting of what Jesus says here. Have we given God what he deserves? We're going to share in Holy Communion in a little bit. And we're going to remind ourselves that actually he's the one who gave everything for us. He's the one who first of all said to us, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Are we willing to say the same? Let's pray.